0: This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. You would turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. That's right after 2 Samuel 8 and right before 2 Samuel 10. I meant to look and see where it was in the Bibles uh, provided, on what page, and I forgot to do that, uh, but it's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, We have spent a good part of this year seeing Jesus in Luke's gospel. So now this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time seeing Jesus in the Old Testament together, even in a rather obscure chapter in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's my aim this morning for us to see in 2 Samuel 9, the grace of King Jesus, through the story of King David and Mephibosheth. So if you're taking notes this morning, there are two main sections of the sermon. The first section, which will be a relatively short section, will be covenant grace explained. Covenant grace explained. God's relationship with his people throughout the entire Bible is a gracious covenantal relationship. And Lord willing, we will see this morning in 2 Samuel 9 glimpses of covenant grace. The second and main section of our sermon this morning is covenant grace examined. So first covenant grace explained, second covenant grace examined. We'll spend the vast majority of our time this morning looking at 2 Samuel 9 as we examine King David's relationship to Mephibosheth. I will have to say Mephibosheth a lot in this sermon. So pray for me that I don't mess up more than about 10 times. We will see in King David's relationship to Mephibosheth a microcosm of King Jesus' relationship to his church. A relationship built upon covenant grace. And so those are the two main sections of the sermon. The shorter section, Covenant Grace Explained, the longer section, Covenant Grace Examined. Before we jump into the sermon this morning, let's stop and pray. Let's pray that God would be with us as we consider His Word. The Lord God, You teach us in Your Word that we should come to You when we are in need. And we are in need this morning. We're in need for You to show us that your covenant grace precedes and accompanies and follows after our salvation, that your covenant grace sustains the redeemed soul and that not one link of its chain can ever be broken, that great is your faithfulness, O God, as you hold us fast through covenant grace for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Well, I I wonder what you think when you hear the word covenant. Uh, Perhaps for some of you, you think it's an old word for a contract and you wouldn't be wrong. Uh, In the law, there are covenants, covenants not to compete, covenants that apply to land. Maybe you think of covenant as a promise. And so you might think of the marriage covenant covenant. The promise between one man and one woman to have and to hold to uh, for richer or poorer, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, to love, to cherish till death they do part. And my guess is that in our context, this is the most common way that you think of the word covenant. The idea of covenant is fundamental to the Bible, One good definition of a biblical idea of covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed agreement between God and man that stipulates conditions of relationship. There's a lot going on there. We're not going to spend a ton of time unpacking that, but I want you to have a good definition of what a biblical covenant is. It's an unchangeable, divinely imposed agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of the relationship. We see a covenant in the first two chapters of the Bible where God makes covenant to bless Adam and Eve if they obey God and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But as we know, our first parents broke that covenant. They disobeyed God they ate the forbidden fruit they broke this covenant with God and yet God graciously promised to redeem the covenant to establish by means to establish by to establish a means by which now sinful humanity might fellowship and be in relationship with God after all To accomplish this redemption, God promised in Genesis 3.15 to send a male child, a last Adam, who would perfectly fulfill the covenant stipulations that were broken by the first Adam. That all happens in the first two and a half chapters of the Bible. And it's the rest of the Bible, after Genesis 3, including 2 Samuel chapter 9, which is the outworking of God bringing about the fulfillment of his covenant promise. And so as the history of redemption unfolds in the Bible, God makes successive covenants. He makes a covenant with Noah in Genesis 8 and 9 to never destroy the earth by a flood again. In Genesis 12 through 17, God made covenant with Abraham to make Abraham a great nation with many descendants so that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and the last Adam will come to fulfill God's covenant. And then after the exodus from Egypt, God made covenant with Moses and the people of Israel to make the Israelites of old his treasured possession to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And as part of that covenant, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments as a foundational requirement, a foundational stipulation for that particular covenant. And so it was the prophets of Israel, the prophets of Israel like Jonah that we considered over the summer, who would prosecute God's people for breaking covenant with God, for not living in accord with God's covenant commands but even as the prophets would prosecute god's people under the mosaic covenant the prophet isaiah, isaiah appealed to the davidic covenant of second samuel chapter 7 he appealed to it as a means of hope for the people of israel and really hope for the whole world in isaiah 6 we read of the holy seed who would remain faithful to god's covenant It was the holy seed that was promised in Genesis 3. It was the holy seed that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. It was this holy seed that was promised even to a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. And so King David rose to power by slaying the Philistine giant Goliath and by being anointed by the priestly prophet Samuel. And after King Saul died... King David was anointed over the nation of Israel as its king. And it's in 2 Samuel 7 that God made a covenant with David, saying that when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, in other words, your seed, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David was a covenant king, and through David would come the forever king. The king promised in genesis three fifteen the king promised in Genesis twelve through seventeen the king that would rule over god's people and so it's no surprise that when we open the New Testament, we read in the very first sentence in the very first book in Matthew chapter one verse one. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These progressive, outworking covenants in the Bible find their fulfillment in the Davidic king, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners, who came into the world to establish a new covenant with God's people. And so Christians, Christians are a new covenant people. Our relationship to God is on the basis of a new covenant set forth throughout the old covenants and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so for the Christian, the Old and New Testaments are the covenant documents that God has given to us that tells us about our understanding of our agreement and our relationship and our stipulations before God. And so when we approach Second Samuel chapter 9, a rather obscure chapter in the Old Testament. We can read it in light of the co- new covenant we have in Jesus Christ. We can read it in light of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 9 of Second Samuel, we can read the very covenant grace of our King, King Jesus, the Son of David. So turn with me now to 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter. Nine, And let's read verses 1 through 8. 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 8. David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Well, we have jumped into the narrative of 2 Samuel. This book of 2 Samuel is a book that recounts King David's meteoric rise to the throne in Israel. And the author of 2 Samuel tells us of the Davidic covenant between God and David in 2 Samuel 7 and recounts King David's military victories in Second Samuel 8. And here in 2 Samuel 9, we have a peculiar chapter where the mighty King David stops from his empire conquests and he exhibits covenant grace to Mephibosheth. There are a number of observations that we can make this morning about covenant grace from the story of King David and Mephibosheth that teach us about the covenant grace between King Jesus and his people. We're going to look at a few of them. There are many others that we can uh, think about as we read through this text. And I would encourage you over lunch or this afternoon to spend time looking at 2 Samuel 9 and seeing how you see Jesus Christ in this obscure passage. But first, we're going to take a look at 2 Samuel 9, and we will see that the king remembers. The king remembers his covenant grace. In verse 1, King David asked the question, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? In the midst of defeating Israel's enemies, in the midst of establishing his rule as a king, David stops And he stops to remember a covenant that he made with King Saul's son, Jonathan. This covenant promise is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And there in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan is speaking to David when we read in verse 14, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul." King David in 2 Samuel 9 remembered the covenant promise that he had made to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20. He doesn't stop and remember remember the evil that the house of Saul had committed before the Lord. He doesn't stop and remember how the house of Saul wanted to kill him. No, King David stopped and he remembered the covenant he made To Jonathan, this promise, not to harm the descendants of the house of Saul, David's own enemies. King David remembered his covenant promise to show his enemies covenant grace. Christian, your God remembers his covenant promise to his enemies, too. You are evidence of that. When God promised to Eve to send a Savior so many years ago, He remembered His covenant promise when at just the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because of this covenant grace that has been shown to you, Christian, you are no longer an enemy of God, but you are a son And if a son, then an heir through God in Christ. And this is sure because God cannot forget his covenant. God cannot break his covenant. It is in his very nature to remember his promises to you, beloved. So praise God for the covenant grace that surely remembers his covenant promises to you, loved one. Our second observation from 2 Samuel 9 is that covenant grace shows forth in loving kindness. Covenant grace shows forth in loving kindness. David not only remembered the covenant he made with Jonathan, but he remembered the covenant in order to show the kindness of God to Mephibosheth. Verse 3, the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? This is not a sentimental kindness, a niceness. It is not a hallmark greeting card kind of kindness. No, this is the kindness of God. This is the hased, the steadfast, faithful, loving kindness of God Almighty. It is a covenant kindness by which God has determined that He will act in faithfulness and in loving kindness towards His people. Praise God, brothers and sisters, that God not only remembers his covenant, but that when he remembers his covenant, he acts in loving kindness towards us. How awful would it be? How awful would it be for a father to remember his duty of discipline for his children, but to forget his loving kindness for them? Or how awful would it be for a husband a husband who remembers his vows to his wife, who remembers their marriage covenant so that he might remain married to her, but that he despises her, that he does not love her. No, God is not like that father and God is not like that husband. King David teaches us that God remembers his covenant And that He is as Moses says He is in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations. Christian, how kind has God been to you? How kind has God been to you? God has loved you when you were unlovable. God gave all for you when you had nothing to give in return. And so, brothers and sisters, this should motivate us to show kindness to others. Speak a kind word to an undeserving person. How, how deeply I need to, to take this to heart. That my kindness is not, is not for the sake of another. My kindness is not born out of what someone has done for me, but instead is born from the reality that God has shown me kindness in Jesus Christ. Notice also that King David's kindness to Mephibosheth, it was not an arbitrary kindness. King David did not wake up one day and simply decide arbitrarily that he would show kindness to some random person. No, David was kind to Mephibosheth for the sake of another. He was kind to Mephibosheth for the sake of another. And this is our third observation. Covenant grace is predicated. It is based upon the work of another god's covenant grace is predicated on the work of another king david does not remember the covenant with jonathan and show kindness to mephibosheth for mephibosheth's sake no what does verse 1 say it says i may show him kindness for jonathan's sake for jonathan's sake verse 7 do not fear mephibosheth for i will show you the kindness of god for your for the sake of your father jonathan So back in 1 Samuel 20, David came to Jonathan fearing for his own life. He feared that Saul, Jonathan's own father, was going to kill him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4, Jonathan says to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. And so David asked Jonathan then to deal kindly with him, to protect him from his father Saul. And Jonathan agreed, and Jonathan faithfully carried out this promise that he had made to David. It's this kind of faithfulness that leads to David's faithfulness in 2 Samuel 9. It's because Jonathan was faithful in 1 Samuel 20 that David showed covenant kindness to to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. There was nothing Mephibosheth had done to merit such kindness from this king. It It was solely the work of Jonathan that secured the benefit for Mephibosheth. And so, brothers and sisters, I wonder if this sounds familiar to you. We have in 2 Samuel 9 a very picture of the gospel. Covenant grace given to an undeserving person for the sake of another. That is the good news of Christianity. That is the gospel message. Of course, the bad news is that like Mephibosheth, we are all by nature enemies of God. We are enemies of the king, like Mephibosheth was. We have all sinned. We've all rebelled against God the king. We've all broken covenant with God. And this is a problem for us. It's a problem for us because God is holy and God is good and God is just. He cannot be in covenant relationship with a sinful people without justly punishing sin. And so, in fact, the writer of Hebrews, this is why we had Lou read Hebrews, is to start your mind thinking along these paths. The writer of Hebrews says, indeed, under the old covenant, everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There must be a reckoning for the rebellion. And in order to maintain his covenant with Israel, God in his grace set up a sacrificial system. So by the shedding of blood of a spotless lamb, there might be forgiveness for the sins of his people. It secured for the people covenant grace and undeserving people received covenant grace from God because of the substitutionary sacrifice of another. And so we keep reading in Hebrews 8 of this sacrificial system under the Old Covenant. And we read in Hebrews 9 that Jesus has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the Old as the covenant that He mediates is better. We learn that the Old Testament sacrificial system was but a shadow of a greater sacrifice and of a better covenant. You see, the New Covenant... It solves the riddle once and for all. How can a holy and just and good God be in eternal covenant relationship with a wicked and rebellious and sinful people? Hebrews 9.26 As it is, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Therefore, the Scripture says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. For Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. This is the good news of Christianity. This is the work that Jesus Christ has done on behalf of all those who would give themselves to Him by faith. The good news that grafts us in to the covenant grace of Almighty God. God's new covenant grace and kindness is sure, for he remembers the work of his own son on the cross. Jesus died in the place of repenting sinners, and God remembers his Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And God remembers that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, actively obeying all of God's commands, interceding for his covenant people. And God remembers all of the Works of righteousness that Jesus Christ has performed, all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to you, Christian. It's been given to you. God remembers his covenant grace and he loves you, brothers and sisters, for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. And so, my unbelieving friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You need to know that everyone is either in covenant fellowship with God for Jesus' sake or you are a covenant enemy of God in your own sin. I wonder if you notice in our text that King David, he did not call for the descendants of the Philistines or the Canaanites. And do you know why? Because David had defeated his enemies. King David had defeated them. And so instead, he calls for Mephibosheth, a once and former enemy who had found grace in the eyes of the king, not because of anything Mephibosheth had done in himself, but because of what Jonathan had done. For the sake of Jonathan, King David brought Mephibosheth to him. And so friend, this is what it's like between you and God. We are all by nature Philistines and Canaanites, enemies of God, rebels against God's good authority and his loving kindness over our lives. And because God is just, he must and he will defeat his enemies. But the good news, the good news is that we can all be like Mephibosheth. God has made a way for us to be welcomed into covenant fellowship with Him through the work of another, namely through Jesus Christ the Lord, through His perfect obedience, through His sinless life, through His death on the cross, through His resurrection from the dead. All for Jesus' sake, God will forgive your sins. For Jesus' sake, God will make a covenant with you. To bring you into fellowship with him. And so friend, be like Mephibosheth this morning. Hear the voice of the king calling after you and respond by turning away from your sin, trusting yourself into Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ's sake, come to God in faith. We learn from 2 Samuel 9 that the covenant grace of God is based on his remembrance. This covenant grace shows forth in loving kindness. This covenant grace is predicated. It's based upon the work of another. And we also learn that this covenant grace is active. It's active. Covenant grace compels action from King David. Verse 2, David sends for Ziba, the servant. He sends for He takes action. He asks, is there any one of the house of Saul left that I might show out my covenant promise to Jonathan? And Ziba says, yes, as a matter of fact, there is Mephibosheth. He is the son of Jonathan. He lives in Lodabar in the house of Makur. And so in verse five, in verse five, this covenant grace compels David to act, to send for Mephibosheth. And here I think it's important for us just to take note that, that covenant grace is not passive. It's not passive. It's not this universal milieu that people walk around in. No, after remembering the covenant that he made with Jonathan, David didn't wait around for Mephibosheth to come to him. He didn't sit idly by wondering if anyone of the house of Saul might stop in for a little bit of a meal. No, no, the covenant compelled action from David for Jonathan's sake. And isn't that true of our God? When Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed in the garden, God initiated reconciliation. When the whole earth was covered with evil, even then Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. While Abram tended to his herd and cared for Sarai, God intervened. God called and gave them new names and set them out. When the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead his people to freedom. And when the people of Israel were in need of leadership, God raised up judge after judge to guide Israel. And then God raised up kings to rule over Israel. Throughout the entire Old Testament, God is the primary actor acting out of his covenant grace to give his people prophets and priests and king for the good of his people. And at just the right time, At just the right time, God sent forth his son, the true prophet, the true priest and the true king to defeat the enemies of the people of God and to gather unto himself God's people. God did this. God acted. He created. He called. He led. He guided. He disciplined. He made provision for his people. And the good news, the good news is that this is not just God we read of in a book but that this is God in the here and now. The good news is that God is still actively about the work of his people. Even now, God sends forth his gospel message so that by the the spirit of Christ, you may have repentance and faith in Jesus. God remembers the new covenant and he desires to show kindness to you for Jesus' sake. And so God is not sitting idly by waiting for you to invite him into your heart. No, Like King David, God has made provision for you and for anyone who turns from their sins and comes to Jesus, and God has sent for you. Just like King David sent for Mephibosheth, God is sending for you even now. He is sending for you even now. In the words of the Francis Thompson poem, God truly is the hound of heaven, seeking out repentance and faith for the good of his people and for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so Christian, Christian, loved one in Christ who God has sent for and you have come already, let me remind you that you are God's means of activity in this new covenant age. That by the power of the Holy Spirit of God within you, these spiritual gifts that God has given you, that you might be the means by which God brings many into his kingdom. That you might be the means by which God builds up his church. And so we, with the Holy Spirit of God in us, we don't sit idly by, but we go. We go. We make disciples of all nations. We baptize in the name of God. We teach them to obey all that God has commanded because our covenant God is actively building His church through His Spirit and through His people. And the even better and more exciting news than that is that God isn't only active in his covenant, but God is also effective. Effective in his covenant. It is one thing that King David sent for Mephibosheth, and it is another thing entirely that Mephibosheth actually came. That Mephibosheth actually came. Verses 5 and 6, we read, King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jothan, son of Saul, came to David, came to David. And this is our fifth observation that covenant grace is not only active, it's also effective. It's effective. Covenant grace saves and restores people by God's power. Here in 2 Samuel 9, we have a king who has made ruin of all of his enemies. He stands victorious even over the house of Saul. King David is strong, he is powerful, he is mighty. And we have one remaining member of the house of Saul who has fled Jerusalem, he cannot even care for himself, and he is crippled in both his feet. Mephibosheth is weak, he is frail, he is literally incapable of fulfilling the king's command to come to Jerusalem. In any other circumstance, the politically shrewd thing would have been for King David to simply take out the disobedient son of Saul. But the good news for Mephibosheth is that the king's decree is effective. The king commands and the king gives what he commands. The king's word accomplishes the king's will. And so it is with God, our king. We, like Mephibosheth, are all crippled. We're incapable of coming to God out of our own volition. Our only condition, our condition only is much worse. We are crippled in our spiritual feet, but even more than that, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. We are sinners. Rebels against God in our natural condition, enslaved to our desires and our affections, which are opposed to God. We follow after evil and wickedness. We do not choose to follow God like Mephibosheth. We do not seek the king's kindness, but God, our king, acts in kindness towards us. He does this by sending out his saving gospel message. He takes action on behalf of his covenant people. And even more than that, our king by his Holy Spirit gives us, grants us, causes us to have saving faith, to well up in our hearts, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. God says behold your God and we crippled in soul dead in our sins cannot raise our eyes of faith. But by his covenant grace the Holy Spirit of God gives us eyes to see. He lifts our drooping head and he gives us a heart of flesh. The strong and powerful and mighty God saves the weak and frail sinner. So friend, I I plead with you this morning. I plead with you to call out to God, to trust the Lord, because like King David, just like King David brought Mephibosheth to him, so King Jesus will bring you to himself. And Christian, Christian, I wonder if you've meditated lately on the reality that you being a Christian is a miracle, That it's a miracle. Have you meditated on the amazing grace of God that you in particular are a Christian? That you are a Christian? I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, well, of course, the king called and I came. Oh, brothers and sisters, you are but Mephibosheth, crippled in both your feet. The king called and he brought you unto himself. Let there never be a time when it seems reasonable, normal, sensible, where our pride wells up and says that I came to Jesus. Let it never be a time where we are not amazed, astounded by the amazing grace of God that he should not only call for us, but that he should bring us unto himself. I wonder if you also notice that the king's grace not only is effective in saving Mephibosheth, bringing him unto himself, but it's also effective in restoring Mephibosheth into the fellowship of the king. Verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear. How often the Lord Jesus tells us, do not fear. King David says, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore unto you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. King David took a defeated and crippled Mephibosheth, a once and former heir to the throne, and restored him to fellowship in the king's court, made him an heir again to the inheritance of his fathers. King David adopted Mephibosheth. This was not Mephibosheth by law as if this was his due. This was an effective adopting covenant grace of the king. And in the same way, God effectually calls a person unto himself through the gospel and by his Holy Spirit. He takes a child of wrath and adopts that person and makes them an heir with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 8 when he says, You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with Your Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Loved ones, Loved ones, this is your position in the kingdom of God. You are an heir with Jesus Christ by adoption. And like Mephibosheth, your fellowship with the king of glory is restored. You have received an inheritance from God that is imperishable and held in heaven for you, Christian. So what is all of this grand reality of God's covenant grace to us how should it, how should we respond? How should any recipient of such active, effective covenant grace respond? Well, Mephibosheth shows us in our sixth observation from 2 Samuel 9, and we're almost there, just hold on. Covenant grace produces humility. Humility. Did you notice in verses six and eight, Mephibosheth responds to King David? He says, He falls down on his face and he pays homage to the king. And David says to him, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth answers and says, behold, I am your servant. In verse 8, Mephibosheth pays homage again. And he says, what is your servant that you should show such regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth here shows us the only acceptable response to such amazing grace is humility. Mephibosheth recognizes his state before the king. He is a dead dog, unable to defend himself, unable to provide for himself, and yet the king has shown kindness to him, has lavished upon him all of these restored realities, this favor, and the only right response is humility. I am your servant, says Mephibosheth. In light of all that we've considered this morning about God's covenant grace, how much more than Mephibosheth should we respond with humility before God? King David is a man after God's own heart. King David was the covenant king of Israel. But even King David was but a shadow of the kindness and goodness of God our King. King David was highly exalted in his day. But I wonder if you've ever read Psalm 8. Listen to King David himself when he says, When I look at your heavens, O God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of? him, And the Son of Man that you care for him. What is man that God Almighty would be mindful of him? You are but dust, O man, and to the dust you will return. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be reminded that pride is not a fruit of the Spirit. Pride is not a result of God's grace in our lives. The old Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, Christians are never more lovely in God's eyes than when they are lowly in their own eyes. So as we consider who God is and what God has done and why God has done it, we need to pray that we are humbled under the word of God, that we are like Mephibosheth, completely dependent on the covenant grace of King Jesus. And that leads us to our our seventh and final observation from 2 Samuel 9. Covenant grace is future grace. Covenant grace is future grace. King David remembered his covenant. He actively, effectively showed kindness to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. And in verses 9 through 13, which we're not going to read in in their entirety, verses 9 through 13, King David restores everything to Mephibosheth, gives him a servant. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Verse 13 says, Now he was lame in both his feet. So King David tells the servant Ziba that he and his sons shall serve Mephibosheth and his son Micah for the rest of their lives. Not just on that day, but for every day that is to come. And twice these verses in verses 9 through 13 they note that Mephibosheth shall always eat at the king's table. There will never be a time, as long as David is king, as long as Mephibosheth is alive, that Mephibosheth and Micah will be cast out from the king's table. There will never be a time, as long as David is king, as long as Mephibosheth is alive, crippled in both his feet though he is, that he will be without servants. King David's covenant grace secured Mephibosheth's future. So we see in verses 9-13, through that covenant grace is future grace. King Jesus, like King David, he secures a place for his people at his table forever too. The Lord's Supper that we celebrated last week is a reminder of the new covenant grace of God through Jesus Christ for His people. Every time we gather at the Lord's table to take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death in the past and we proclaim our sure and certain hope that our covenant-keeping King Jesus will hold us fast. That He will hold us fast just not for today, but for every day until that future day that we read of in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. On that future and great day, loved ones, We will dine with our covenant king forever, just like Mephibosheth. But even more than that, in verse 13 of 2 Samuel, the writer closes out the chapter with a note that Mephibosheth is still crippled in both his feet. King David may have secured Mephibosheth a place at the king's table, but he was not able to fully and finally save him from the effects of his sinful rebellion. Mephibosheth remained crippled in both his feet. But King Jesus, King Jesus, beloved, not only will we dine with him in glory, not only will we dine with him in glory, with all of our brothers and sisters throughout all the nations and throughout all generations. But there will be a day for us, loved ones, recorded in Revelation 21, when the covenant grace of King Jesus will be finally and fully realized when we see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away, and the sea will have been no more, and we will see that holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And we will hear the loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and God will dwell with us. And we will be his people. And God himself will be with us as our God. And the covenant grace of King Jesus, it secures even now a future for us, for, uh, for his people. A future where we will not only dine with him forever, but we will be with him forever in the new Jerusalem. And in that place, loved ones, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor crippled feet, nor cancer, nor any disease or difficulty any more. for the former things will have passed away. And so he who is seated on David's throne, he says, behold, I am making all things new. And so the bride of Christ says, Amen. Praise God for the covenant grace of King Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, how great are your covenant promises to us in King Jesus. Without him, we stand far off, a stranger, an outcast. But in him, we draw near an imperishable inheritance without Jesus. We dare not lift up our guilty eyes but in him we gaze upon the loving kindness of our great God. Without Jesus we hide our lips in trembling shame but in him we open our mouth in petition and in praise. Without Jesus all is wrath and consuming fire but in Jesus all is love and the security of our souls. Without Jesus we are left to our own wicked ways but in Jesus we are invited to an everlasting feast. Without Jesus darkness spreads its horrors before us. But in him, O God, an eternity of glory is our sure and certain hope. And so we praise you, our great God, for covenant grace in King Jesus. And we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.